Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. We love having guest ministers here at IBC. We enjoy sharing that preaching with you. But sometimes you miss out on a huge portion of what happens at IBC by only hearing that side of the school. We also have this academic or teaching side of things. And in today's episode, we are going to kick off a brand new series called Expounding the Text. We're going to sit down with someone who is not unfamiliar to the IBC podcast, Dean of Biblical Studies, Reverend Bobby Kilman, and we're going to talk through particular portions of Scripture and just kind of explain what's happening in the text and how it applies to our lives. These episodes are meant to be brief, uh, bite-sized, 20-minute episodes. Today, this, this first one is not so brief, though, and that's because of the particular portion of Scripture we covered, Genesis 1, 26-28. It's a thick portion of Scripture that's often misinterpreted and in need of a little extra explanation. So, each week on these Expounding the Text series, we're going to observe the text, interpret it, correlate it to other portions of Scripture, and then apply it to our lives. If you are interested in these Expounding the Text, right now it's a mini-series, but if you're interested in having more of them, let us know on social media at IBC Promo, or you can email us, podcast at go to ibc.com. We want to hear your feedback on this new endeavor on the podcast. We plan to release these each Tuesday in the near future. And again, keep them down to about 20 minutes. But for here and now, it's a little bit longer on this first expounding the text covering Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Hope you enjoy. All right. Welcome, Reverend Bobby Kilman, Dean of Biblical Studies here at Indiana Bible College. Uh, of course, no stranger to the podcast. So, Brother Kilman, thank you again for your time and being willing to uh, sit down and talk with us here in a little bit new episode. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. So, uh, probably where we're going to start here is just read Genesis one twenty six for the listeners. You can grab uh, your Bible and follow along with us, or you can trust that we're reading the right <laughs> the right scriptures, uh, which we will be. I promise. So Genesis one twenty six uh, reads, and we'll read through verse twenty eight. Says, and God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. And replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air 
and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So, Brother Kilman, talk to us a little bit here about what is uh, going on in the text that we just read. Okay, so I, if I, um, I'm going to try to keep this as concise as possible, but this is a very, very <laughs> controversial text. It's it's one of the ones that is uh, most uh, thrown at oneness apostolics to say, how in the world can you defend a oneness position from this text? So uh, the first thing you're going to do, if you're going to do correct exegesis, exegesis means to exegete, to draw the meaning out of the text, mm-hmm. is you got to see the text itself and kind of spend a little time observing the text. So the first thing that we would say is, is that we got to deal with the fact that it says, you know, uh, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So we got to deal as oneness people with those three pronouns. We're not trying to uh, throw away the clear speaking of scripture, but we want to say what in the world is going on in the text. So the first thing you have to do is observe what's going on in the text, right? See what scripture says itself. And so we don't, we don't deny that those plural pronouns are there. Uh, so, but we do say, like you've already read the rest of the scriptures, like if you're going to interpret it correctly, you got to deal with Genesis one twenty seven. So, whatever you say about Genesis one twenty six has to be connected to one twenty seven, where it says, "So God created man in His, his yeah. own image, yeah. and and in the image of God created He uh, uh-huh. Him, male and female created He, he. them." So. Yeah. Yeah, so you got to deal with whatever God is saying because he's speaking and announcing his intent to create. So he's talking to somebody, mm-hmm. and that's the question. Who is the us? But when he creates, clearly the text says that he created. And as a matter of fact, in Genesis one twenty six, if you wanted to get a little fun and, and dive a little deeper underneath uh, the the language, the, the Hebrew word that's translated in God said uh, it's third person masculine singular. And Vagyomir uh, is literally, and he said, not and they said. Mm-hmm. So you, so you got to observe. For, for slow text. learners, for slow learners like myself, Brother Kilman, third person masculine singular. Yes. What, is that, what does that and, language mean as it, as it applies to uh, biblical texts or liter, uh, literature in general? A great question. So third person would be like, first person would be like, I said, uh, second person would be like, you know, uh, he said, or, mm-hmm. or the, uh, they said, uh, third, uh, third person, if I, let me see if I can pull this off the top of my head as he, she, or it. Mm-hmm. And so the text is literally, um, he, and he said, that's what the tense uh, of the language there is in the in the Hebrew, where it says, and God said. Now, we have the word for God in there as well, but just based on uh, the fact of that one word, it's literally, and he said. And, of course, we know it's God because uh, uh, we we have the word Hebrew word for God in there. I, I was just here mm-hmm. to throw too much Hebrew at you. Sure. But it's third person. It's masculine. So there goes feminist argument for God being female. It's out the window, too, right? Yeah. So, And then also it's singular. So mm-hmm. you can't make that more than one. Uh, it's what the text is saying. So Genesis one twenty six itself has within, even when it's using plural pronouns, it's clearly one singular God uh, speaking. 
Okay. Right. So after you get into observing the text, that's when you can move to interpretation. Now, here's the biggest issue with interpreting this verse. uh, verse. There's at least six different views on this verse. And so when you read commentaries, it gets complicated very fast. And there's even a a, a divergence uh, in oneness people's belief on what the text is actually addressing. So I'll try to I'll try to treat these quickly. So after you observe the text itself, then you got to deal with interpreting the text. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to see the text actually. What is the scripture saying? Secondly, wh- how do I interpret it? That means understanding what scripture says. All right. So the first one, I mean, we can dismiss as apostolics or as good Bible believing. Even our wonderful Trinitarian friends would throw this one out. They, there, there's a li- the liberal argument that. This was a plurality of gods. The us and the our is a plurality of gods. And, and they would say that was a mistake of Moses to carry in some type of polytheism. And he hadn't cleaned up his language enough. That Well, we don't believe in that. As a matter of fact, you look at Deuteronomy 6 and, and the rest of Moses' writings, and I don't think there's a way to make that claim. So uh, I, I think you have to deal with that a different way. The second would be that maybe it's a plurality of material. And what they mean by that is um, that God is speaking to creation, not just humanity mm-hmm. uh, or not, not in view of humanity. He's speaking to the rest of creation, like the earth. And, and there was a Jewish philosopher, Amenides, that came up with that and some other people as well supported in, in history. And so you're, and they would say God is. Yeah. So he's to speaking to everything that's already been created up until this point. Yeah. So okay. and, and what that okay. Henderson is like this. We're created in the image of God, and then we're created in the image of the with the earth. We're formed from the dust of the earth. And they try to weld that together. It doesn't really do good with the text. Yeah. Because uh because the text is clear that he's making, and they would say, I'll I'll try to give it the best listen I can. It's it's the culmination. He's he's dealing with the pinnacle of all creation. And, and so when he does, he, he deals with that plurality, plurality of God and the earth. The problem is Genesis 1.27 excludes this mm-hmm. because he created him in the image of God. Yeah, in his own image. That's right. And so uh, all due respect, uh, that, that one's off the table. Then the third one is that maybe there's a plural plurality of deliberation. And so, uh, like we would say in English today, uh, let's see, what am I going to do today? That's literally, let us see. And so some people would argue for a, uh, a plurality of a deliberation, which is uh, okay, but I, I think you, I, I don't see that going on in the text to be candid. Yeah. Uh, the, the fourth view is um, that it's the Trinity. It's persons within the Trinity. So you have a plurality of persons. And like the pulpit commentary says this, uh, actually Gil, uh, who wrote a wonderful commentary that I really like in uh, other places, I mean, he's just... He, he's not only arguing for the Trinity, he's like, if you if it's not, he's like dismissive of every other view without even considering <laughs> scripture. Uh, but there's a, there's a guy, a wonderful guy, his name's Jeremy Myers, and um, he's a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. Um, he's a graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary, and I'm using him because, I mean, he's just really candid on this. He said, he, he says it this way, Brother Henderson, he says, Moses did not believe in a Trinity. Okay. Which I would say, amen. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and say neither did any of the Israelites. They didn't understand it that way. And he says, we shouldn't either. Yeah. 
Now, now yeah. what he's dealing with there is he's dealing with kind of the candid backwards type approach to most theology. They would say you're taking the Trinity mm-hmm. that they believe in, and, and Jeremy Myers would say it's revealed in the New Testament. He said, don't try to read that back into the uh, Old Testament because it's just not there. Yeah. All right. So uh, then, then view number five is that it's a, a plurality of majesty or plurality of emphasis. And in, in the pronouns. Now, we know that the noun usage is there, and it was common uh, to uh, the leadership. It's in Ezra chapter 4, verse 8. It's in Isaiah 6, 8. It's in Genesis 11, verse 7. And, and all of those are uh, where the scripture uses Elohim or different types of things like that, where there's uh, a uniplural or a plural of, of emphasis is the right mm-hmm. way to say it, or some would say plural majesty. So that em ending would add like emphasis. Now, in English, all we have is a plural number. But in Hebrew, you can put the em ending on something, and and you can make it like the greatest of that, or okay. the most of that. Uh, and so, it's, it's, a, uh, it's not a plural of number, it's a plural of emphasis, and that's true. So, if I say, uh, Brother Henderson, that kadosh is the Hebrew word for holy, and mm-hmm. I say kadosh kodeshim, what am I saying, right? Well, the Hebrew is saying the holy of holies, or literally the most holy place. Yeah. Because you have the repetition and the em ending. And so, or, or or like the Hebrew word for heaven is shamayim. And, and when you look at the Hebrew word shamayim, it just means heavens. And that's why it's translated the heavens and heavens. And but no, no hebrew person or no person today that i know of that would be a trinitarian would argue that there is a plurality of like multiple heavens in that sense it just means kind of the atmosphere and Mm -hmm. and you can talk about that and make a deliberation between like the atmosphere maybe the outer space or wherever john was caught up and i get that but when you look at the context of scripture whenever it's discussing just the atmosphere it's shami and it's like we don't believe in more than one atmosphere so again, it's not multiple heavens or multiple atmospheres uh, any more than it's uh, a multiple persons. Uh, there's, a, there's a great writer on this, uh, uh, Maroka, if I'm saying his name right. He says, the problem with this, he says, the plural ma- majesty exists in nouns. That's true. He says, but the we of majesty did not exist in the Hebrew. And he's saying the pronouns do not operate the way the nouns do. So it's back to reading, understanding based on where we are today instead of where the original author understood the text to be. Is that what you're... Yeah, Yeah, and grammar. It's about Hebrew grammar. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that the nouns function that way is okay and allowable. Mm -hmm. But when you try to apply that to pronouns, uh, this particular author who say... Um, he, he's got a grammar, biblical Hebrew. He's pretty strong in terms of qualification. <laughs> he, he, he knows say, what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He would say, you just can't use pronouns that way because that's not what Hebrew does. Okay. So you got to do something else with Genesis 126, which is the last view. And of course I say the one that I particularly hold, uh, to last, which is it's a plurality of the hosts of heaven. Now, what does that mean? Well, the uh, like Philo, uh, Abin, Azer, Dalich, tons of people would say the same thing. They would say God was speaking to the angels. Mm-hmm. Now, now, why would He do that? Well, there's so we're, what we're we have to deal with is when we get to interpretation like this is 
uh, we're dealing with interpretation. Hermeneutics is how to read and interpret the Bible correctly. And so when you deal with that, and I think this is what you were aimed at, Brother Henderson, is you got to deal with kind of how would this make sense to the first reader, mm-hmm. which is, again, Myers's point. They didn't believe in a Trinity. They would never see this in the language at all. And so uh, people, uh, I, I remember uh, one of the first persons, uh, people I've heard uh, say it was uh, Bart Ehrman. He says, back when they were inventing the doctrine of the Trinity, they came up with methods that we would call creative. Uh-huh. And he kind of <laughs> chuckles a little bit. And then he says, um, you know, and, and they use texts like Genesis one twenty six, when God said, let us. And he said, now the question is, would that make sense to the first reader? What he means is to the Jewish people mm-hmm. in which Genesis was written first, there's no way they would ever interpret that way. And I'll give you some other resources for those who are listening to the podcast. There's a, a great little app called the Faith Life app, uh, Faith okay. Life. And uh, there's a, a scholar in there, his name's Michael Heeser. And what he says on Genesis 126 is, he says, uh, the Genesis 126, let us uh, make, uh, he says, the occurrence there of us has been understood as a plurality in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This understanding, and catch what he says, would have been unknown to the authors of the Old Testament. And what he's saying is, don't try to jam your view back in the text. Let the text be the text. Yeah, start, yeah. as my, one of my professors said in seminary, start with the otherness of the text. Let yeah. the text be other than you. Because exegesis is to draw the meaning out of the text, not to read my meaning into it. He says, a simpler explanation is that us reflects an announcement by the single God of Israel to a group in his presence, the heavenly host. Then yeah. he lists Psalm 82 and Psalm 89, verses 5 and eight, uh, five through 8 as uh, the same type of things mm-hmm. that we can see happen. I, I, uh, another one, the Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges. This is way back in 1882. He said until recently. Now, that was way back then. 1882. Yeah. Yeah. He says until recently, the traditional Christian interpretation has seen in the first person plural a reference to the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. He says the requirements of sound historical exegesis render this view untenable, for it would read into the book of Genesis the religious teaching which is based upon the revelation of the New Testament. Now, I don't agree with him that the Trinity is revealed in the New Testament. Sure, but you can't agree that... That they're reading into their own view. Ego. Yeah. You got it. Instead of letting the text say what it says and interpret it in a way that candidly, uh, Israelite, uh, strictly, staunchly, absolute monotheist would have understood it. They get it somewhere. They get it from their own philosophy and read it backwards into the text. Uh, so there's a, another uh, guy who wrote a book called Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. And in this uh, in this text, he says, uh, Michael he, Michael Brown is his name. He says it was common to refer to the deity in the compound plural, and when speaking of an owner or master, it was often the rule to speak of him in such terms. He says, "Don't get too crazy with that." Uh, he says, "Even David is spoken of as Lord, and that's a noun." masculine plural of emphasis. And that's in first Kings one eleven. Mm-hmm. He says, so the word that they use for uh, Lord Adonai, he says, has the aim ending. 
And no one argues David's a trinity. Yeah. And so however you're going to interpret this, even if you're not going to say, if you're going to argue it's a compound pronoun, first of all, that's not used in Hebrew. And then secondly, uh, you ready? You can't do that because the em implies to uh, like uh, the Messiah in Psalm 45, 6 is called Elohim. Uh, and, and Psalm 82, 6 calls the leaders of Israel Elohim. Exodus 7, verse 1 causes Moses, calls Moses Elohim. And then you got all the pagan deities in the uh, Old yeah. Testament, Astaroth, Chemosh, Milcom, uh, and Baal. All of those are called Elohim. Yeah. And so even if you're going to say that that is a plurality of some sort and it means multiple persons, it's it, you couldn't do that because it would have to be plural emphasis uh, based on uh, the context of the singular pronouns previous and in in the opening and in the next mm-hmm. verse. But more more importantly, the fact that the pronouns aren't used that way shows you, man, I got to interpret this a different way. I can't force it into this noun thing. And even if I did, David's not a trinity and neither is Moses and all these other things. Mm-hmm. So, so how do I get the right view of this text? And that's where we get to our third step in sound exegesis, which is correlation. What, what does scripture say elsewhere on this same topic? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, you, how is the heavenly host, if, if God is speaking to angels, how, how's the heavenly host referred to in scripture? Well, in verse Kings 22, 19 through 22, uh, God uh, chooses to counsel with the host of heaven in in view of the prophet and say, what should we do? I, I've yeah. heard people say, God doesn't counsel with anyone. Well, I know what the scripture says, like who has been his counselor, mm-hmm. but you got to interpret that, that statement in the context of saying, who has counseled God and given him advice in terms of Uh, correcting him is what the text is saying. But here in 1 Kings 22, God clearly is counseling uh, with the angels in deliberation. Uh, Job chapter 1, verse 6, Job chapter 2, verse 1, we see the sons of God or the angels coming in a council before God. And guess who shows up with him? Even Satan shows up. Yeah, yeah. I actually had just turned to that. I'm like, he's talking about Job here too. (laughs) (laughs) So we can see that, that this host of heaven uh, is with God. Job chapter 38, verse 7 is a poetic expression, but it talks about when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy at the creation account. So mm-hmm. uh, probably made on day one and the rest of creation as it unfolds, uh, now they begin to shout with joy. for the, So they're with God in the beginning. We know that uh, they, when at least when man is created. Uh, Psalm 29, verses 1 through 3, talks about, O ye mighty. You couple that with Psalm 89, verses 5 and 6. And it talks about, um, uh, and the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord. The faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. And the, uh, uh, and, and the word there is literally holy ones. For who in heaven can be compared unto the Lord? And who among the sons of the mighty? Which is another way of referring to the angels can be likened to God. So we can, all I'm saying is we can see the host of, uh, of angels with yeah. God in heaven. Yeah. And you, then you get more deliberation like Isaiah 6, 8. Also, I heard the voice of, of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Mm-hmm. And God is talking. He's in heaven. And of course, Isaiah just saw angels flying around yep. in a vision. Yeah. 
And so Isaiah is caught up and he's God's dealing with human beings and he's saying, okay, who will go for us? And that deliberation is not because God is somehow stumped and needs advice. He's including his created beings in his actions. Okay, and, and, and the same thing in Daniel chapter 10, Luke chapter 2, you can see all of those accounts where God is uh, interacting with the ho- heavenly hosts of heaven, and they're interacting with humanity. Yeah. So all, all I'm saying is, is when you look at the rest of Scripture, you can see the pattern and yeah. see that God is, deliberates with the heavenly hosts and with his creation. Uh, so, I mean, you got, uh, not, not to be too redundant, Brother Henderson, but there are biblical accounts where God makes his creatures know his counsel. Genesis 18. Mm-hmm. He comes down and talks to Abraham before he's, he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Job yeah. 29, uh, verse 4. Uh, Job, literally, the phrase there in the Hebrew is where God was intimate in my tent. Mm-hmm. Where God spoke to him and confronted him in the whirlwind. And Isaiah 6, 8, we've already read where Isaiah and the angels are in the deliberation of God. And he's uh, including them in his counsel. We've already read First Kings 22, where the prophet Micaiah and the angels are, are there, and God is taking counsels and involving them in his actions. Jeremiah 23, 18 and 22, he says, who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? And of yeah. course, it's the prophet and the angels. In Amos chapter 3, the prophet says, God's purpose is revealed to his servants. Well, he's yeah. not going to do anything except he revealed to his servants. So we have that pattern in scripture where God deliberates with his creation. And even into the new Testament too, he does the exact same thing with uh, Mary, probably one of the biggest announcements in the history of the world, Mary and Joseph get, you know, and they get it on separate occasions, God visiting them and counseling with them and telling them, Hey, look, this is what's going to happen. And so, yeah, and that, and see, hey, let's, I'm going to hang on to that statement you just made, Brother Anderson, because that, once you see it, it's like, bang, it just comes to you when you yeah. look at it in the, re- through the rest of Scripture. So there are four us passages where God uses us. And so we just, we've read the one, Genesis 126. And when people interpret it, they isolate it mostly from these other three examples. Yeah. So there, there's this uh, a wonderful- It's 25% doctrine. Yeah, <laughs> so that would be an F in our class, right? We're both it would be an F. You can't get a 25 on the test. That's not going to do well for you. So Waltke has this great little book. And uh, uh, it's uh, a commentary on the book of Genesis is what it's titled. It came out in 2001. He says, when human beings, he says, this, these us texts, he says, when you look at all four occurrences, he says it's when human beings are impinging on the heavenly realm. They're, they're in conflict with God in some okay. way, and God is deciding human, uh, human beings' fate. He says, okay, he says, so when you look at this explanation, he says it satisfies all such uses of the pronoun because God is addressing the angels or the heavenly court. He says, if you say it's the Trinity, he says, the primary difficulty with that view is this. He says, you got to deal with the other three examples that don't have, and he's a Trinitarian, and he says, and they don't seem to have the Trinity in view. So like in Genesis chapter three, verse 22, it says, and the Lord God said, behold, that man has become as one of us to know good from evil. And that's at the fall. So they have grasped that sin. And now God is going to pronounce an act. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And then he says, when you go to Genesis 11, seven, go to, let us go down and there confound mm-hmm. their language. It's in the tower. tower of Babel. Let us yep. go down. And again, he, the heavenly court comes down to see they're building the tower. There's great unity in sin, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're offending God again. And God is going to pronounce and then act. And then he says in Isaiah 6, 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Now notice he said, I send. Yeah. And who will go for us? Then said I, and this is the prophet, he's addressing the heavenly court where the prophet's been invited into. There's great sin in Israel. God is going to pronounce and then act. Mm-hmm. And Isaiah is being caught up in that pronouncement. And then God is going to act. Right. So uh, that's why another Trinitarian author, Wyndham, says, let us create man should therefore be regarded as a divine announcement to a heavenly court, drawing the angelic host attention to the master stroke of creation, man. Wow. And so God is speaking to them and accenting his master stroke. And they're saying, well, you're just inter- interjecting angels into the text. It's not there. You don't even get them. Well, mm-hmm. to every Jewish person, even when him would say, no, every Jewish person would know that angels were present at creation. So that's not a stretch at all. Yeah. And and what I would say is you're interjecting the Trinity. Yeah. So it's a it's, it's a difference a, of their understanding versus the understanding, like we talked about, of the original. Yeah. So the Jews you say, yeah, sure, there was angels at creation. And we say, or or uh, in modernity, humanity would say, uh, oh, they're angels? What are angels? But it's a superimposition of our cultural belief system into scripture, yeah, which is that's a, right. That's a terrible way to read scripture. That's right. And it's unfaithful and it divorces us from the ultimate meaning of the text. Mm-hmm. So whether you're an atheist and you don't believe in the supernatural anymore, and every solid Bible believing Trinitarian would say, oh, no, don't read your meaning back into the text and dismiss the text. Well, the same would be true. What Wynnum and, and all these other people would say, don't read the Trinity back there, even though they're Trinitarian. Yeah. They would say, uh, make sure you interpret. So why limit it to the number three? Yeah. You got to carry not only a Trinity, you got to carry three back into the text as well. Uh, and it's and and so like uh, we, sir, he, sir, rather would say in discord with the very normative ancient Near Eastern idea of the high God speaking to members of his entourage. He says, not only do you got to read the Trinity in the text, you have to dismiss the ancient Near Eastern understanding that was common to everything that deities did back then. Yeah. Just a fascinating. Wow. And by the way, why would you announce to other persons of the Trinity what you're going to do if they're omniscient? Yeah, if they're right there, if they're one uh, homoousis, or no, that's not right, homostasis, something like that, of yeah. of one. Yeah, that's the one. They're all they're all there together. Yeah, yeah and they're all one in knowledge, and if they're yeah. all knowing, we need the announcement. Uh, and so, I guess I, I don't want to overdo this. So that's why massive admissions today in terms of the oneness position. And even way back in the 1800s are, are coming around. And they're, they're, those are people that are worth mining because when you quote them, Brother Henderson, uh, sometimes your Trinitarian friend would go, Ooh, well then maybe I'm doing damage to that text. And you can even yeah. let them off the hook a little bit and say, well, maybe not the Trinity there, right? Maybe somewhere else, but mm-hmm. not there. Right. And they'll go, mm, yeah. 
and then say, okay, well then let's go somewhere else. Yeah, let's, let's look at another find someplace you else. Slowly, you slowly start eroding their confidence in those doctrines that are being read backwards in the scripture. Yeah. And, and so I'll give you one more quote that I think is uh, worth uh, hearing from Wenham. He says, the main argument against this interpretation that God is speaking to angels is that angels are not involved in creation. He said, however, God's address of the heavenly court does not mean that they participate in the act of creation. For instance, he said in Isaiah 6, 8, and notice what he's doing. He's doing correlation. Yeah. He's comparing this to other we's and us in, in the in the Old Testament. He says, when God says, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? God is the primary actor, but he is acting in concert with the heavenly dimension. Mm-hmm. What he's saying is it's God's pure intention, but he's announcing what he's going to do. Yeah. Just like Genesis 1.26. So, so how does correlation and interpretation work together? When you get all of the voices of scripture, you can peel off that wrong view and say the right interpretation is this. The lone creator announces his intentions to the heavenly host, the angels. Then he creates. Yeah. And again, wow. uh, and that's the context of scripture. But if you misread the scripture, you, you misread the intent of scripture, Brother Henderson, then you ready. You misunderstand the application, which is, of course, the thing we're headed to. What is the application of this? Well, this is a prelude to Genesis 3. It's about about God's crowning centerpiece of creation and and how it's going to go awry in the fall. It's going to get off track. Mm -hmm. And and if you you misunderstand what he's saying and you make the us about a a trinity, uh, then you're going to miss like Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering? Uh, spirits to the uh, heirs of salvation, the angels, all of the angelic realm, all of these other things, all of God's power is centered in humanity through which dominion comes. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, you you can get caught up in uh, worrying about like, uh, so when Paul says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is he mentioning? Well, he, if you, if you read all due respect, Trinity in Genesis 1, all of a sudden you're so distracted trying to figure out which person is talking that you can sometimes be divided in your focus to see that God is saying all of creation uh, is waiting for this creature who will act out dominion in the earth. Mm -hmm. Because that anticipates that the fall and not only the fall of the first Adam, but the anticipation of the final Adam yeah. who's going to come. And so the application would be something like this. When I, when I get this right, uh, Hebrews 2.9 says, but we see Jesus who's made a little lower than the angels uh, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that, that. Now that's a reason word. Why did he come robed as a man? that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So how is God glorified? Obedience. Mm-hmm. It was dominion and demonstrating the glory of God. Obedience. How are we lost? Disobedience. How are we reunited with God? You ready? Obedience. Again. Yeah, yeah. What, 
what do we have now available to us? We have our union with Christ in the spirit, which is the possibility of obedience again. It's the possibility of dominion again, not dominion theology, but the possibility of glorifying God in our obedience and all things being brought underneath his lordship again. Yeah. Wow. And when you get divided in your focus, see what happens is you start worrying about the Trinity so much, you miss the intention of what's being said in Genesis, which is God is banking everything in terms of his glory in creation on human beings being obedient. Wow. That's pretty incredible. That that yeah. one thought alone right there that you just said. God is banking everything. Say it again. <laughs> so God is banking everything that he intends in terms of his glory, mm-hmm. in terms of purpose, on the obedience of man. Of us. And he and when we got divided in our fall, but see, that's what Genesis 1's telling us. This mm-hmm. is, pay attention, this is the crowning moment of all creation. And what we can do is when we get into, sometimes our Trinitarian friends can get so divided over trying to find the Trinity, they miss the glory intended in the text. Wow. Brother Henderson, I'll add to that. Sometimes we get so worried fighting the doctrine of the Trinity mm-hmm. that we can miss the intention of the text too. I was fixing to ask, do you think that there is a possibility that we can miss the glory of this text, the the beauty of this text, when we get caught up in in these squabbles amongst ourselves, but you just answered it. The answer is yeah. yes, absolutely. There's a place for politics, right? Sure, absolutely. There's a, there's a, yeah, but not to the point that after we deal with what it's not, we also have to deal with what it is. Mm-hmm. We wow. got to step forward. Wow. And when you see those four texts together, you see that God is centered on pronouncing and then acting in the, in the realm of, of human beings and life. And, and he's still doing that today. He's still doing it today. Well, brother Kilman, thank you so much. I hope that we will be able to have some more of these sessions and talks and just take a look at scripture. Uh, again, thank you for your time, brother Kilman. It's a delight to be here, brother Henderson. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. on-campus students at Indiana Bible College have the opportunity to study in three major areas, biblical studies, missiology, and worship studies. If you or someone you know is interested in any one of these three areas, we encourage you to check out www.indianabiblecollege.org. On the website, you can find answers to all of your most frequently asked questions. But if the answer is not there, fill out the form in the Contact Us section, and we will be happy to get the answer for you. 